All right, everybody, let's, let's get back into our seats. All right, we just read 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy. It's a thing that precedes 1 Timothy. <laughs> All right, so today I'm really excited to talk about this subject, okay? So it's partially why I'm excited is because this is probably, I, last week I told you about worldliness and some of these things. It's the biggest battle that happens. But I want anybody who's been discipled by me in any form, raise your hand real quick. Okay, so in the place that you've been discipled by me, how often do I talk about fighting for the things that God is giving you? Yeah, and in that place that we have to actually put a fight in for faith, right? Well, that's what the chapter is today, is we all have a fight for faith, and God's given us amazing things to do it. And each of us, whether we're new here, whether we've been in this church for years, we are all in the same fight to believe God more today than we did yesterday. Amen? And so I'm just excited to talk about this, and we'll see how we go. All right, so where we've been is... Like, we've been on this road where there's many different turns you can take, but it comes down to a place where we have been given a gospel, and it's a Jesus who is alive, who's strong, who's good, who's caring, who, in the middle of us being lost, died so that we could be restored back into relationship, that we could be adopted and brought into a new identity. Amen? But for us to act like a new person... The truth is, is that sometimes we need somebody to walk us beside us to change our behaviors, for us to change what is comfortable to us, for us to change how we do things, for us to learn new. And that process is called discipleship. And in that process, it's not me just telling you what to do. It's me helping you recognize the signposts that we're being led by. And as we do that, the goal of it isn't just to do anything. It's for us to move and look like Christ, to be transformed into the character and image of him. Now, and this isn't like no, like, cult stuff. This is the place where we want our characteristics to be the beautiful things that ultimately bring glory to God. But in that, that means that we don't just talk. We have to take that out throw it out the window, and actually be doers of the lessons we learn. It means that doers of faith, not just doers of doing. And as we do that, it means also that we're going to come to a battle inside of ourselves with what the world has really told us is the right things. And most of us, um, it's split up nowadays, you know, we have people with addictions in here. We have people with addictions in here. And like, <laughs> and the thing is, is within that, we all have something that we settle on that's not Jesus. And the world has said, this thing will make you okay. And we'll find that as we follow God, there's better things. And we realize actually he's much better than the things I've settled on inside of me to be okay with. And that's called worldliness. It's, it's idleness of this place, and we are faced against it to let it go. So as we go on, today we're talking about fan the flame. And these are the points of fan the flame. First, faith. Second is grace, mercy, and peace. The third is power. The fourth is love. 
And the fifth is self-discipline. Amen? So let me give you a little image. Most of you guys probably wouldn't figure this, me being from L.A. I love camping. I love the outdoors. Um, one of my favorite things to do back in the day was bonfires. And um, can you go to the next slide for me? Um, when you set up a fire, let's say it's not rainy. Let's say it's been dry. Because, <laughs> I mean, that makes it a lot easier, right? Um, you you want to get enough branches, first of all. You want, you want some actual wood that's going to burn, right? That might mean that we need to chop some wood up. But we also have to find branches. We have to find kindling. We have to find different fuel. And we have to load it into a pile and cause it to be just dense enough that once it catches fire, it'll have something to go. But if you put it too densely, what happens? It smothers out. If I put too much branches in before we even get it going, what's going to happen? It will smother out. What happens is you get smoke, not fire. In that same way, I want us thinking today, as God leads us, what is the fuel he's giving to you to start your fire? And what is the fuel he's calling for you to use in this season to keep your fire going? In that same thought, when we look at old coal trains, right, do you know what the main job of a person, the biggest person on the train was? Was it the conductor? No, who was it? It was. It was a shovelman. His main job was to make sure that the perfect amount of coal was being put in the fire to consistently keep it going. The reason why it was important for it to be consistent was not for the fact that if you put more, it's better. No, actually, if it burns too hot, it'll ruin the engine. If it starts to burn out, the, 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 the train has to overwork to get back to speed. The consistency has to do with the fact that actually the train traveled more precisely and better and kept longer health as long as it stayed consistent. In that same way, as we are working out this place of trying to go after God, us putting out the flame and restarting is actually worse for us than actually consistently working on this place of faith. Amen? Okay, so what time is it, y'all? Testimony time. I promise I won't call on the people I called last week, okay? I, I <laughs> but let's see who, if anybody has a testimony, a word, a place where they want to give glory to God, come on. Yeah, Alice, let's give it up for Alice. Well, I want to praise God. You know, we all have a plan, and God has a plan for our lives. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about my, what had happened in my life. I grew up in Illinois with six kids in our family, which was a good thing that I look back now, because uh, we had our ups and downs, but the Lord was with us then. And the Lord gave me a good Christian man that I married. And a year later, we had a son. Well, our son, when he turned two, we found out he had leukemia. And this wasn't just yesterday. This was back a while. <laughs> 
and then they had just certain medications. And he lived for a year and a half, and he went through all the medications and things. It didn't work out that and finally meningitis set in. And the Lord took him home at three and a half. You know, through that, the experiences we experience, well, then the Lord helps us through it. He's always been faithful. Well, five months later, after he died, we had a, a daughter. And as soon as she was born, we found out that she had um, mental problems. And she was very slow. We had our ups and downs with her. But the Lord gave her to us for 44 years. And that was quite a, you know, hard, hard situation dealing with a child that was slow, that had, at times, anger problems and, and not understanding fears that she went through. But the Lord helped us through that. And then six years later, Christina came along. And we were very thankful for her. And then three years ago, my husband was taken home to be with the Lord. And I praise the Lord for that because I think, oh, I'm glad he doesn't have to go through this virus and all the things that's going on in our world. But you know, when we persevere, we keep going through these things, the Lord's there and he's faithful. He's been with us and will continue to be with us. And I know that they're in heaven. And I just praise the Lord for that. So I just wanted to share that with you, that God is faithful. Even what you go through, we persevere on. And we grow through it. And, you know, it gives me more compassion for others that are going through difficult situations. You know, there's lessons to be learned through it all. Even though we don't understand, we think, well, when we get married, everything's going to be perfect, and you know, we're going to raise these great kids, and you know, but God is faithful, and I just wanted to share that. Thank you so much, Alice. All right, who else? First of all, I just want to say that was powerful. All right, come on, Brother Dame. But thank you again, Alice. Hallelujah. Amen. That is a testimony for us young people who haven't lived long enough to see that kind of a struggle. It is encouraging. Um, I have a quick testimony this morning about a father who is real. So I've been being discipled by Stefan probably since 2015. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the foster care system. I grew up uh, coming from a, a Nigerian father who was deported and a mom that was addicted to heroin. And that culture living in Oakland, California, was very much built upon a bunch of fatherless young men. But on top of that, people who have rules and beliefs that say, if you don't take care of yourself, no one, no one else will. And that's been one of my things. It's like, I gotta take care of myself. I can't depend on people. I can't depend on the government. I'm gonna be successful. And so in this place this last year, during a pandemic, through discipleship, through uh, having people in my life that kind of hold me accountable, um, I got a job where I actually started to excel really well, um, working for a company called Alpha Environmental. Alpha, it's an environmental company, deals with hazardous waste. Somehow, I've been doing really well during the pandemic, I got a promotion to management 
thankful for the community around me that have helped me to be excellent. Uh, I got a promotion during the pandemic, right? Doing well, boom, boom. Jumped up to, the, to the, the 60K bracket where I'm making 60K a year. This year starts off, boom, going at it, building, meeting goals. Then he's like, hey, we want to give you another $12,000 a year raise. That's not the testimony part, though. The testimony part is that God as a father continues to manifest in my life in very uncomfortable ways. Having a brother like Stefan, it's not always easy to be around because he just gets in your business, right? And last Wednesday, we were going through a discipleship meeting where we're talking about finances, talking about the value of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you've received. And is the value of what you've received good enough to, for you to put those rules down? And for me, that's a hard challenge because I'm like, I'm in a place where I'm successful now. I can start building, getting stock. I can start, there's all these things I can start doing. I can look into what the, the bigger guys are talking about in my corporation, how they're investing over here and over there. And then we're having a meeting about how are you tithing? How is your financial stability? Not in the sense of are you building money, but how are you giving back to God? How are you investing into the kingdom. And it's like, man, as a father, it's very much something that I haven't experienced where someone gets into my world to say, okay, I see how much money you're making, but the house of the Lord is neglected. So I've been being challenged to be a bigger tither because not only am I working for Alpha, but I'm also part of a community where the biggest thing that we have to give is ourselves, not how we worship ourselves. Does that make, that make sense? And there's an interesting thing because me, who, you know, God is a God of detail. You got a slide up there that says where we've been, where we're going. Everybody saw that, that freeway sign. How many people noticed, if you had attention to detail, that that S was missing on the Salem? Who saw that? It just said Alem, right? And I'm like, this is funny. But God was like, look up what Alem means. So I, I looked it up on my phone, and in Portuguese, A-L-E-M actually means beyond. And I felt like God was saying, this year I want you to go beyond the limitations that you've placed on yourself and, and into the further places of responsibility. So, amen. Thank you. Man, today, I mean, these, <laughs> these testimonies almost have me crying today. Man. Hallelujah. Oh, God, that's why I was moving over. I don't know how many of you guys were watching me. I was like trying to slowly creep. I was like, ain't nobody going to see my eyes sweating. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I blame it on Mike. But anyway, so, yeah, that was powerful. As we're moving on today, and this place where we see that God is faithful, and there's a place where God is stirring our hearts today through giving us family that we didn't know like, could even exist. There's a place where we have to see where God is stirring each of us because it's so different. Like You are met in the middle of your mess. You are met in the middle of where you're not enough. And our faithful God meets that place. And he starts something with dead wood, kindling. Things that are dead. Because the truth is, once again, going back to the fire illustration, how many of us 
yep, my phone. That was me. It wasn't Jesus. <laughs> anyway, so how many of us, don't worry about it, just put it on the seat. Um, how many of us have ever started a fire with living branches and leaves? How good does that work? It doesn't. So the only way to start a fire is with dead things. And God starts those fires with the same dead things that are living in us. And so when we look at it, the whole premise of today's scripture is 2 Timothy 1 through 6. I mean, 1, chapter 1, verse 6. And it says, that is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God. That inner fire, that special endowment, which is in you, though the laying on of my hands, with those of the elders at your ordination. Normally, I'd talk about the laying on of hands and all that stuff, but we're talking about discipleship today. We're talking about the place where ultimately we are walking out real relationship here. And it's there's a place that we, as we look at this flame, we have to continue to put something in it. That flame, we'll talk more about later. But one of the things I also want us to look at is in verse 5, it puts out this place that shows that this is, hello. <laughs> it's not a one-time thing. This is not a one-time thing. This is a continuous feeding of that flame. Because in verse 5, it says that he knows his grandmother had faith. He knew his mother had faith. And he has genuine faith. And then he goes on to say, "Flame, uh, fan your flame. So in that place, we have to see that this is not a one-time thing, but it's a continuous walk for all of us. One that takes us putting the kindling into our fire. But as, as I said before, I really want to get into that flame. I have to talk about the one thing that actually will be the raining uh, on, of the fire, it'll rain on the fire instead of fan it. And that is, there's behaviors that instead of fanning our flame, will actually be like rain that smothers our flame. See, it doesn't actually even like, it won't overwhelm it immediately, because I, it, you know, we've all been in fire where the rain drifts out but it'll slowly bring it down to smoke. And it does it by making it all about us. These behaviors are surrounded about us. And what do you guys think it is? You guys think? Any guesses? What'd you say? Forgiveness is the center of what this subject is. What, do, what does it normally mean? When, why do we need to forgive somebody? Where offense, offense, the biggest thing to put out our fire is our rights and our offense. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And see, there can be an amazing fire that goes on, but as soon as you start withholding yourself because you were offended, you were hurt, and you're looking for your rights, is the quickest time you'll start stop putting what, what's been given to you to be put in that fire so that you can protect yourself. In Matthew 5.39, it says, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person who insults you or violates your rights, 
But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn other towards him also. Simply ignore insignificant insults, trivial losses, and do not bother to retaliate. Maintain your dignity, your respect, and your poise. I'm going to say something kind of offensive. That's new, right? You have no rights. In the kingdom of God, the only right we have is to choose to not be with him. And the retaliation we choose, the things we choose, our own time, no right to money, you know, we we look at these things and we want to cling and we say, I have all these things that the American dream sells me. But, But, you know, I deserve it. I want it. The truth is, is that those objections have to come from a place of you not feeling safe and trusting God. And there's a place where in God, what he's trying to lead us to is himself. See, what's interesting, the reason why I wanted to start at this place is for us to recognize the biggest barrier for you to be on fire or even you to be thankful or you to be trusting is you seeking your rights and being protected by your offense. Because even looking at this scripture, it says, you know, if somebody slaps you, offer him the other cheek. I don't know about you, this would be a difficult thing for me. (laughs) I think that like we look at this and it's built off of two laws in the Old Testament. One's in Exodus 21, the other one's in Leviticus 24. They have to do with a weighing system that the Jews actually built to choose how to judge people and put things out. In Deuteronomy 19.21, it says, Thus you shall not show pity, life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. Do you guys know, was that original to the Bible? No, that was not original to the Bible. In fact, this existed already. It was a tribal law. It's the oldest recorded law in all of history. And it's known as the Rex Talionis. And what it has to do is tit for tat. And it really came around, there's a guy named Hammurabi, and he reigned in Babylon from 2285 to 2242. But as we see, this was a law that was put in place by Moses because it, it really reflected a, law, a lot of what was happening in the land. We also know that all order came from God, right? So this was a place of order that God was giving. A lot of people also think this law, tit for tat, is a law of savagery. They think that it's, it's a place of brutality. But actually, it was a law of mercy. Because on the, like, it was a place in time when tribalism would wipe each other out if they were done wrong. It wouldn't be justice against one individual. It'd be, a, it'd be against a whole people. And up to that point, it, wasn't, it was until they had been met with enough, enough justice that they felt satisfied. So this law came to say, you're only allowed exactly what has happened. But to even take it further, is, is the, it limited the vengeance, but then it also 
was never enforced by the person individually. The judge had to enforce it. So that means the person didn't even have the right to choose how much that, that was worth. But even how much that was looked, even if, let's say, the person took your eye, if that person only had one good eye, that formula that was given said, for you to take their one good eye would be way more than what you lost. So it wasn't even justice to the level you thought because the formula was so specific. Most of the times it had to do with money, had to do with reparations and all these different things. But the truth is, is that what this shows is we all believe in fair play. We all want righteousness and justice. We all have a deep desire within us to know the protection and liberties that we've been given will be protected and cared for and the privileges we will actually get to participate with. Even when we look at our own Declaration of Independence, right, it says all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This, state, this comes from a deep place within us that seeks justice right from the get-go. <clears throat> But when we look at something and we take a candid look and Jesus says, if somebody slaps you in the face, offer them the other cheek. Is that saying that we got that, that right? No, because they even take it one step further. Did you guys know that slapping somebody with the back of your hand, which is what would have to happen for somebody to slap you twice from the same position, when you offer them the other cheek, was way more disrespectful. It was actually like you're humiliating the person. So what it's saying here is not just to offer them the same place to hurt you, but it's saying actually if a person plots to hurt you, humiliate you, disrespect you, even does it again, forgive them. Because Within this place of you taking rights, it only hurts you. And the reason why I wanted to start here is because nobody can take your relationship with Jesus. Nobody. In this day and age, we have to see our behaviors, our actions, will re they'll reveal what we're worshiping in that moment. And the most easy way for you to find yourself worshiping you is our offense, and where we got to protect ourselves. But the thing is, is when we look at the example of God and the way that he loves us, he does it in a way that is because of his character, his relationship, his integrity. Are you called to the same thing? Are you called to walk in a relationship with Jesus that's defined off you and him? Or you and the people who are surrounding you? The truth is our offense and rights are to be checked at the door so that we can actually see our God for how amazing he is. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, when I go to the show, all I'm going to want to look at is the star. I'm not going to care about the crowd. Okay. I'm going to start getting hypes now, okay, you guys? I got past the hard part. <laughs> Woo! I didn't... I had to go over that because I think that the biggest separation we find, even if I said all the next part and we didn't hear that, we wouldn't get to participate with it. <laughs>
And it's more important to me that you get to taste something good than me just show you a really good infomercial. Amen? All right. So now we're going to get to the part I'm really hyped about. So when we fame this, this uh, when we <laughs> fan this flame, <laughs> I guess I can speak English. Uh, um, <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke I was going to make. And so when we fan the flame, <laughs> we have to see that it's a place where God is putting something. He's reacting. There's a moment that's engaging you. There's something that's happening inside of you that's amazing, that's going to light the life up inside of you, whether you are desperate, where you're depressed, where you're lonely, where you're struggling, when you're at your bottom, our God meets you in the middle of that place to bring life. And it starts with one thing. It starts with faith. Maybe it's when we look at in this verse, it says, I remember your sincere and unqualified faith, the surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness, a faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I'm confident that it is in you as well. See, faith is like the, the actual air of our fire. It does not actually matter how much material, how much fuel you have. If you do not have air, you do not have fire. And in that same place with you, unless we're putting trust in the stock of God, in the actual character of God, it doesn't matter how much you have, you will not be on fire. So in this place, we're having these moments of faith that are brought to us. But where do they come from? Can you go to the next slide? When we see where we're coming from, the first place has to come from others. Because you don't know how to trust. The truth is, I have to look around the room and look at these testimonies of a person who's lived a life for God. And she can say in the middle of struggle, I know my God is faithful. I have to look at people who are in the middle of struggle right now and saying, I know my God's showing up. I have to be able in the place where I don't know where I'm at to say, I'm expecting my God to be here. In Romans 1.12, it says, that is that we may be mutually encouraged and comforted by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So for me, when I'm looking at this, our faith, our fire does not start with some fake roved up stuff that we can do. It takes me honestly looking at somebody, hearing their story, and putting trust in their God. Because the truth is, is when I start out, it's not going to be me putting trust in my God that I own, that I take ownership for. It takes me believing that there is a good God who can reach into my situation, who can meet me in my darkness, who can meet me in my struggle, who can meet me in my place, and show that he's amazing. And that amazing is something I want to participate with. I'm tired of being alone. I'm tired of being lost. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of not being met. I'm tired of being tired. Let me try this, God. Amen? So then it evolves into the second place, which is our personal faith. Where, yes, I can trust I had to put this trust to start, to try it out, to say that this could be a good thing. But if it does not involve into me trusting God, me putting my money where the mouth is, if I don't actually start investing in a way that actually calls me to live out something, to try something new, then I will never have the fire that I want to see that I'm seeing in somebody else's life. When we look at Hebrews 11:6, 6, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to walk with God. 
and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Say he rewards those who seek him. So in that place where we seek him with trust, where we seek him with faith, he will meet us. The thing is, is that it takes you trusting him and he will put that fire in you. He will put a wind of God just that will blow on you and it will breathe life. But the truth is, is that we have to turn away from where it was that we were. And we actually have to, trusting looks like something. Trusting looks like something. But as we look at this air that surrounds us and meets us and guides us and protects us, and this amazing God is putting his life into things, and he's impacting us and we're trusting, what is the next step? Well, the next step is grace, mercy, and peace. And it says in 2 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace, inner calm and spiritual well-being from God, the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know I'm saying a lot. This is like a regular thing that Paul would say, because Paul is Paul. But when you look at the beginning of each of his letters and the end of each of his letters, do you know what he does? He says, grace be with you. And in almost all of his letters, he says, may grace lead you or something along that lines. Grace be with you and may grace continue to be with you. In this place, grace and mercy will provide us with the placement of peace. We have to see that even when God's given grace, he, he has, he's the one who chose to give that to us. He chose to pour grace on to meet us. He chooses to give us something we never deserved. He chose to continue to show a goodness that we never actually earned. And in that, he then, even with what we did deserve, what we did earn, what we chose, he pours out mercy. And because of the the thing he's giving us that we never deserved and the mercy that he's withholding, I mean, that he's, he's holding for us, it rekindles a place that provides us peace. So in this, it reveals the character of a God who's actually good and trustworthy. It reveals a God who is not just like this world, who's not just like us, who's not just in the same situation. But it's like the fireman running into the middle of fire. He has no reason to do that for anything else that he chooses to save a life that day. And in that same place... That same good character reaches into the middle of our story, grabs a hold of us, and he chooses something that we didn't deserve so that we can be saved. And in the middle of each of our stories, he's showing to us that he actually has a greater plan, a greater place, better things than you believed, better placements for you that you never deserve to earn. And in fact, in the choices that you're making, he's going to continue to pour mercy out, mercy out, so that you actually can receive the blessing that he has for you because he's good. And because of that, you don't have to keep worrying. You don't have to keep being afraid. You don't have to hold on to these dead things. You can let them catch fire, which means that you can be at peace within yourself. Can you go to the next slide for me? It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice 
or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in the calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Really, these next three points come from this verse. I love this verse. How many of us love this verse? Okay. Not as many as I was expecting. I was making like, yes! You know, I love this verse because the truth is I'm bold. I mean, if you didn't know, I, I, I think that there's such a place that this gives all the context. This and chapter 3, verse 16 gives all the context for the whole book, the second book of Timothy, that positions us to receive a God who is meeting us, who is faithful, who is good, who will meet and grab a hold of you and show you something brand new. But you cannot see this with the wrong context. So what is the wrong context? Well, the mistake we make is what is the power it's talking about? Can you go to the next thing? I had to like, you know, I had to get the yoked brother who's just like cheesing. Because the truth is, is that we, we make the power about us. We make the power about something that's inside of you that is specifically defined by you. He's given you strength. He's given you might. He's given you the ability. But that's not as beautiful as what it really is. He's done something amazing in you. When you read Ephesians 2.9, it says, Not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast and take credit in any way for salvation. It's a gift given. This power is a gift given. So what is it? If this gift is to give glory, what is it? It's something God has done in you. This power has to be even a revelation, an impact, a, a place that we have to question. So in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Test and evaluate yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and living your lives as committed believers. Examine yourselves, not me. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience that Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you failed the test and rejected as counterfeit. Do you guys know that God is inside of you? The God who can, who can split the sea? The God who can redeem the lost? The God who can resurrect the dead? The God who has the power to bring the stars and the heavens into alignment? I mean, the most gangster line is the, the God who even keeps track of the lioness's hunger. You know? The God who knows where the sun calls home. The truth is, is that we have a God who's alive, and even though we feel our situation is impossible, he says actually where you can find strength is that I'm in you. The God of the impossible is in you. I am with you. There is nothing that you cannot do in this place. So the thing that helps you fan your fire first is trust that's built by others and built ultimately by you. The things that God has done to you, which is grace, mercy, and peace. Those are things God has done to you. And now it's the, God, the thing that God can do through you. His power that lives inside of you, we cannot do anything for God except for with God. 
And the power he has to change your situation is amazing. And any of us who have been at the bottom and recognize we're at a totally different place now and can recognize that power that can change that situation can testify of a, a God who can do anything. In that place where our heart is falling apart and we don't know how much longer we can keep going, that's a place where we can say, my God is powerful enough to carry me through this situation today. In the place where I can go and want to talk to people and be transformed and touch these things and do these things, but I'm so broken down and I don't actually know how to do it, but God somehow gets me up on my feet and changes my situation and finds me in the middle of a place like Glenfair, that's God's power. Because in reality, my God has changed me to be a reflection of him. That means that my God also can transform all of us to be the reflection that we need to be for the people who are still lost out there struggling with what we've secretly struggled with for years. No matter where you come from, no matter what your struggle has been, no matter how far down you've been, my God is still strong enough to still grab deeper, farther, and make you better. And see, the thing is, is that this place this Messiah who died and rose again and he resurrected, which is just the gospel, he lives in you to resurrect you and help you be in a place to continue to save others, to help them realize that they're adopted, that they're cared for, they're wanted, they're loved, they're seen, they're hoped for, that they're not at the end of themselves because the power of God is meeting them through a manifestation that stands right in front of them saying today, I know my God can do it. Do you know yet? The fourth thing to fan the flame is love. It's love for God and what he gives you. Because the truth is, is that in this place, you can despise it really easy. Where it points out where you're uncomfortable, you're unsafe, where you feel inside and it comes to life. At that first moment when that happens, you'll despise it. Because you'll blame it and say that that put that feeling inside of you. But the truth is, is that we've lived a long life hiding. And God is doing something to rescue you today. He's done something to rescue you from where you are. He's been faithful in your life. And the quicker we can accept that that was the most loving thing, that was the most transforming thing, that's actually what saved me, that God didn't do that to me, is the sooner we'll actually get to see how good he is. Because the truth is, is that by our own decision, I can say for myself, I would have been on a Sunday morning, probably still tripping, still partying, you know. I, I probably, actually, I'd, by this age, I'd probably be dead in a grave or I'd be in a jail cell for the rest of my life. By my choices, I found myself in prison. By my choices, I hurt people that I loved. By my choices, I saw that I could only continue to remake the situations I found myself in. I could change even the total environment and still remake the same exact situations. The problem was not the world I was in. The problem was the world inside of me. But my God lovingly pointed out that the brokenness may have started outside of me, but it found its way inside of me and that he wanted to repair it. 
and he was going to bring the things to change me. And I had to fall in love with what that was, to recognize that a good God was saving me. The second thing is I have to learn to love others because the thing that I've been hurt the most by is the thing I need the most to actually learn how to trust God. The world is a cruel, unjust place. Whether we like it or not, it's eaten some of us out and spit us out. I've seen terrible things in this world. But I recognize as much as I can fight to protect myself from others, as long as I'm protecting myself from others, I can't see the goodness of God. Because the truth is, is that if my God created them in, their, in his image, if he created them with a semblance of him, me protecting myself from them will sooner or later be me protecting myself against him. And the truth is, is that the quicker I can learn to love people, I can, I'm, is the quicker I can learn to forgive myself. And the quicker I can forgive myself is the quicker I actually can learn to forgive others for how they've hurt me. I have to learn to love. But it also is, is that I have to learn to love what God is doing. Because this flame is not just for me. It's not just for me. It is the warmth. It's the life. It's this place that will soup up. But until I can surrender my will, every time that the stuff that's not for me shows up, my flame will try. I'll try and protect it. I'll try and hold back. So I have to learn to love something separate than from me. And sometimes it means at the cost of me. I have to love what God's doing. What does that mean? The truth is, is for a long time, I was liking that God was giving me peace and finally taking away my nightmares, taking away the place I was afraid, the regrets and the shame that had crippled me for so long. But the, until he grabbed a hold of me to say, I'm in love with the way you rescue people. Until the moment that I could believe that he would grab a hold of my brother Dame and save him, my brother Pavi, you know, and grab a hold of them in the middle of a place they were ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to quit. And see my God say, I believe more. I'm going to pick you up. Until I fell in love with that, I could not partner with an impossible God who can grab those who are ready to give up on themselves, ready to be done. And as I could fall in love with that, it only showed me how much that God was not willing to give up on me. How he wasn't ready to throw in the towel on me. How he wasn't ready to let me succumb to my judgments or my placement. But I had to first fall in love with what he was doing for somebody else so I could see it for me. And the final place is self-discipline. We read Titus 2, 12 through 13. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires, to live sensible, upright, and godly lives. With a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. This is the action portion, my people. <laughs> this is the place where all the other things are either happening inside of you or happening to you. 
It's just settling in your heart that that is. That God would be good enough that he would choose to do that. Now, this is the part where you take all of that and you put it into action. You put it into action by weeding out worldliness. You put it into action by saying, you know what? I don't need to go back to the pipe. I don't need to go back to the bottle. I don't need to buy another pair of shoes. I don't need to go and sit here and hide away money. I don't need to go and do all these things to protect myself because my God is good enough to do it. I don't have to go back to those old neighborhoods and those old friends. I don't have to go and sit here and pretend and make myself up to be another person. I don't have to make myself look self-righteous. I don't have to pretend no more because my God is good enough to grab a hold of me and he is faithful to already choose me. He's adopted me. He's taken responsibility of me and he grabs a hold of that mess and he's not choosing me because I don't have a mess. He's choosing me because I need him in the middle of my mess. And in that, I see that. I don't have to go back. I don't have to go back to pretending like I don't have because my God has given it to me. See, we can be self-disciplined and not fulfill the old man in his worldly desires of offense, of our own rights. Because when you're not seeking your rights and you're letting go of offense and forgiving, you can't help but start stepping in new ways. It means that you don't have to let yourself go as far as you've gone. Instead of valuing what we value in us, not fulfilling this old way, we get to value God's grace and mercy above all things. And the truth is, is we see that that bottom that I've really felt, that, that place where I have really hit the bottom, I don't have to pretend no more because... I'm done. I'm done. I will not go back. Because the God who is meeting me in the middle of this moment, who's asking me further into relationship, who's seeking me in the place right now, he's good enough. And the truth is, is I might not always believe that. But that's the moment I have to go back through these steps over and over and over again. Because each day is a battle of faith. Each day is a battle for grace. Each day is a battle to see my Jesus. If I want to be in this place, in this relationship of intimacy, it's not the responsibility of every other person who's here to worship me. But it's a place where I have to fight. It might mean that I'm going to look at my brothers and sisters in the middle of this place, and I don't know what I'm going to do today. But my God, I know, is faithful to somebody today. And I'm going to grab a hold of his faithfulness to them. And I'm going to adhere to it. I'm going to say, I need that today to keep going. That's my coal for today. That's my fuel for today. That's my fire for today. And in that place, all I can testify is there's grace and mercy that's happening. I might not feel it, but I know it's there. I might not feel that because I'm the one judging me today. I'm the one who has the judgments today. God, give me peace. Let me taste of what you've already given me. Because you live inside of me, so you're not as far as I feel you are. The truth is these steps we will forever be walking through until we are fully unified with Christ. 
But the beautiful part is, is that we don't have to do it alone. No matter whether you're believing today or not believing, whether you're on Facebook and you don't know where the heck you are, I want you testifying on there. If you got something, write it down. Right here, you have the testimony of at least 40 people in this room right now, 30 people, whatever, how many people are up in here. We have a God who is faithful, who's saved, who meets. I'm not dead today because of that God. And if he had chosen to take me, he would still be good. But ultimately, I'm here today getting to tell you about a God who is faithful and good because he had more for you. He had more for us. And the truth is, is just like that verse I read, I need to be encouraged by your story some days too. We have to see that faithfulness is alive in all of us. We are all houses of God. So as we keep the flame going, we have to look at each other, see where each other are, see where each other is hiding, see where each other needs Jesus today and say, I see you. My God's good. He's faithful. He's worth being loved. And you don't have to go back. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would grab a hold of everyone's heart today and show them where you've rescued them. Remind them of where they've come from, the downs, the valleys, and show them where those mountains are that were preceding those moments, Lord. Let us not forget. Let us not forget your victories, Lord. I pray that we would just be continuing echoing worshipers that would say you are a God of your promises. You are a God that meets us in the middle of the storm. You are a God that grabs a hold of me. You are a God that <laughs> helps me put my pride down. I was not the one who got through that. I was the one who made that situation. You're the one who grabbed a hold of me. You're the one who rescued me. You're the one who loves me. You're the one who's seeking me. And you continue to do the impossible for the people I see around me. So Lord, obviously you're doing it for me. Lord, I pray that you would, you would bear witness to this in everybody's heart today. You would sow seeds. You would stir them up. And where the questions are, they would be bold enough to ask them. For you did not give us a spirit of fear, but you gave us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Pray these things in your name. Amen.